Laudator Jesus Christus. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, who is the Editor-in-Chief of CFN. Hello, Brian. Good to see you again, and welcome to all of those who are joining us live today. We are an hour earlier due to a schedule conflict later in the day, so but we hope that you're uh, still able to join us and uh, welcome to everyone who's here. Yes, welcome. We have a uh, packed show, as always, for you. Yes. And since we're still uh, in Eastertide, we will say Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. We hope you are continuing to uh, have a good and holy, blessed Easter season and experiencing the joy of the resurrection. So uh, before we get to our uh, lineup for today, we just wanted to display, as most people are aware, you know, the big big story that's broken between uh, our last show and today is Elon Musk and the purchase of Twitter. And for those of you who use Twitter, you've probably already noticed a significant change. It seems like the shadow banning has been turned off overnight. You know, people are actually getting uh, followers again and, and having their content seen again. It's, it's amazing yes. how quickly things have changed. And hopefully it's yeah, just they're... the beginning. They're uh, hiding the evidence, it seems. Put everything, yes. putting it back. So when he comes in, because I'll have access to everything, uh, it'll be right. all, they're burning, you know, there was a joke I saw, there's like smoke coming out of windows as they're burning all their papers. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. But yes, no, the story is, as we reported on last week, the board of directors uh, voted uh, to approve his offer and to facilitate the transfer, revoke the poison pill. Uh, and so Elon Musk, probably in about three to four months, will be the sole owner uh, of Twitter, and he has indicated he will certainly be making lots of changes, including personnel changes. So, right. Um, well, you know, I, I hear that a, I watched a report that I think he's already announced that the board will. Be, yeah. Everyone on the board is gone. Is he gone. May, yes. He might bring back a couple of key individuals, but I don't. Yes. Sounds like major changes are coming. Yeah, I heard there's a former group that used to work for Pravda and the Soviet Union that are getting together to form a new censoring organization. So maybe they'll hire a bunch of these people. <laughs> they have a lot of experience. <laughs> but yeah. in any event, uh, Elon Musk uh, tweeted this out. I, I just wonder what it was today. Uh, yeah. A little pictogram of, and again, it's, it's, it's interesting what this shows. I mean, he's saying in 2008, he was liberal uh, and the liberals loved him. He was kind of getting a little more centrist, and they were running away from him. And now, really, because of their, um, you know, insanity, their woke progressivism, he finds himself more closer to uh, the the right side of the political spectrum, where they're laughing. <laughs> and, yes. But again, what it really shows is, you know, the how God I think brings good out of everything, right? Because yeah. all of the bad things that have been happening happening the good that god brings out is it's waking people up and again is he totally woken up to the catholic faith obviously not no. but you know there are there are stages of awareness and it is you know it's becoming the good thing about the work of the devil is it's becoming more and more overt in our days it's no yes. longer people going oh that can't be right no you must be seeing things when it's it's so much more in the open now that even people you know who are not with us are are realizing hey maybe these people weren't wrong all along uh, and yes. again hopefully they continue along that spectrum he seems to be somewhat like a donald trump of the tech world i don't know yes. that might, be an, might be an overstatement but that's kind of how he strikes me he certainly has his flaws but uh seems yes. to be doing some good at least right now so we'll see yes. what happens we'll see but as far as our uh, story lineup today, as Brian said, we have a packed show for you. Uh, first on the docket is the Pope's Easter appeal to Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill, calling for both of them, uh, the Pope and the Patriarch, to be, quote, true peacemakers. And interestingly, this comes while the U.S. Congress is considering expanding military aid to Ukraine, <laughs> despite Russia's very dire warnings to the contrary. We'll get into some yeah. of that. and also get into President Biden's remarks just this morning, uh, where he accidentally said he's going to accommodate as opposed <laughs> to hold accountable the Russian oligarchs. <laughs> uh, second up today, we have two examples of the culture war that is being waged in public schools in the United States, I'm sure elsewhere as well, but our two examples come from the United States uh, involving the, the alphabet soup issue as well as 
prayer, even just private prayer of this individual coach who, whose case is actually now before the United States Supreme Court. So Brian will walk us through that. Uh, we're also going to look at uh, this, I believe LifeSite News may have broken this story in the English-speaking world. That's where I saw it. Uh, a credible report that Pope Francis expects traditional priests, including those of the priestly fraternity of St. Peter and other former Ecclesia Dei communities, to con-celebrate the annual Novus Ordo Chrism Mass with their local bishop. This has been kind of a lingering question since the release, the drop of the atomic bomb uh, Traditionis Custodis last July. Uh, we have it's been kind of up in the air, but it sounds, according to the report, it sounds like he is expecting this. So we'll see what happens with those communities. And then finally, some another piece of bombshell uh, news from the Vatican: confirmation that 79-year-old Honduran Cardinal Oscar Andres Rodriguez Maradiaga, the so-called Vice Pope has indeed announced his resignation and he is one of the you know the kingpins you might say in the Vatican part of the St. Gallen groups part of the council of cardinals of like the pope the pope's right hand man basically so very significant news there uh, before we get into all of these stories as always we'll take a brief look at the church's liturgical calendar and spend a few moments pondering the things that are above as St. Paul says so to, we're coming to you live on Thursday, April 28th, the year of our Lord, 2022. And on the traditional Roman calendar, it is the Feast of St. Paul of the Cross, an Italian priest who lived uh, from 1694 to 1775 and is the founder of the Congregation of the Passion of Jesus Christ, also known as the Passionists. So here's a little uh, snippet from uh, Dom Prosper Guéranger's The Liturgical Year regarding St. Paul of the Cross. Quote, Splendidly adorned with the sacred sign of the Passion, Paul of the Cross comes today to pay homage to the conqueror of death. It behooved Christ to suffer and so enter into his glory. It behooves the Christian, the member of Christ, to follow his head in suffering that he may share his triumph. Even as a child, Paul penetrated deeply into the ineffable mystery of the suffering of God, meaning our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he was filled with an ardent love for the cross and ran with giant strides along this royal road. He passed through the torrent following his divine head. He was buried with him in death and has won a share in his resurrection. And for those who may not be familiar with the Passionist order, because it's not one that I, typically we see a lot just in regular parish life, not that I'm aware of anyway. Uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia explains that the congregation embraces both the contemplative and the active life as applied to religious orders. The idea of the founder, St. Paul of the Cross, was to unite in it the solitary life of the Carthusians or Trappists with the active life of the Jesuits or Lazarists. The Passionists are reckoned among the mendicant orders in the church, meaning that they rely on the donations, the charity of the faithful in order to survive. I don't know if Brian has any experience with the Passionists or if he's ever uh, been. I think they do a lot of like parish missions, preaching, that sort of thing. Is that they did? Yes, they did a lot of parish missions, a lot of writing. You'll find a lot of really good old traditional books like the ones that uh, tan uh, tan books used to sell uh by passionist priests uh but i think they're pretty devastated after the council there's not really as yeah. many left anymore and i think one of their um i don't know if she would be like a third order member but saint gemma galgani galgani is pretty, she's yes. pretty f uh, famous saint associated with the order yes and I just wanted to share a, a couple of verses from today's epistle, which are so appropriate for St. Paul of the Cross. It's from uh, St. Paul the Apostle's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 1. For both the Jews require signs and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews indeed a stumbling block and unto the Gentiles foolishness, <clears throat> but unto them that are called both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Coming up on our uh, liturgical calendar, some upcoming saints and feasts, and got a great lineup for this coming uh, seven days. St. Catherine of Siena on Saturday, April 30th, followed by what's uh, typically known as Good Shepherd Sunday. It's the second Sunday after Easter, but it always, for the gospel and the traditional mass, is always from John chapter 10 about our Lord being the Good Shepherd. So it's often called Good Shepherd Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then next week, uh, Monday, I believe, yeah, May 2nd, we have the, the feast of the great Saint Athanasius, Athanasius against the world, as it, as the saying goes. And then Saint Monica, the, the mother of Saint Augustine on May 4th. And next week's show, we will be uh, broadcasting on the feast of Saint Pius V, which goes very well with the Brian's ongoing series on the the mass that he I think he just posted uh, part six yesterday. So make sure you check yes. that out on our YouTube channel, Rebel Channel. Yes, some great saints. I mean, Catherine of Siena, a, a really a wonderful saint. I, and I this is not official. This is just me, but I think she's the patron saint of large Catholic families. As you may not know, she was one of she had twenty four siblings. Uh, talk about it. Uh, so wow. people say you have 10, 12 children, you have a large family. So now nah, we're kind of small compared to the St. <laughs> Catherine of Siena's family. And yes. I think she was one of the last, uh, one of the last, uh, if I remember right. Uh, yes. But she, although she was a, uh, you know, Dominican, she was a tertiary. So she lived in the world. And actually, if you go to Siena, you can see her little oratory was a room in her parents' house where she, uh, you know, had many visions and had this mystical mm-hmm. marriage to our Lord. Uh, so although she is a contemplative, she's also, you know, very much was a, a tertiary in the world, not not away from the world, and also a great saint for our time because she is the one who went to Avignon and republicly resisted the Pope to his face, telling right. him that he needed to go back to Rome and fulfill his responsibilities, right. stop hiding out in France, basically. So I think at one time, didn't she say something to the effect of either be a man or resign yes. your office. Something be a like man, that. man up, as we would say, or resign <laughs> your office. But really wonderful, wonderful saint. And obviously St. Uh, Athanasius. Uh, and again, his famous uh, phrase that's attributed to him, uh, they they have the ch- buildings, we have the faith. And uh, I mentioned about that pilgrimage in, in Florida, walking to St. Augustine. Um, my wife and, and one of her children and I went out. My, my uh, oldest son walked the whole way. It was four days they walk uh, and canoe. Uh, but I went out and uh, we met them in St. Augustine. And every year they've been able to have a mass, recently at least, and when they get there, it's the 10th anniversary, it's, uh, the Shrine of Our Lady of La Leche, uh, which they were not allowed this year, thanks to TC. And well, I'll say thanks to the, the ordinary's uh, misconceptions about it. <laughs> um, maybe we'll put it that way. So they weren't allowed. So they they met everybody and those who weren't walking could go out and just meet, met in front of the bishop's cathedral. <laughs> Uh, and had a very physical, phys- you know, physical presence, visible presence with uh, 40 or 50 priests and seminarians and cassock mm-hmm. and surplus and, you know, hundreds of faithful, uh, and then walked to the shrine and then went to the, there's a secular uh, uh, state park where the, the Spanish landed and, and uh, the first, uh, near where the first mass was said. Uh, and they, the secular place was happy to welcome them and have a uh, traditional, beautiful traditional Latin mass there. But it really reminded us we stood outside this this massive, you know, beautiful cathedral of St. Augustine. Uh, they may have the buildings, but we have the faith. Yes, very true. Very true. All right. And there's one uh, other thing I wanted to mention. So tomorrow, April 29th, is the Feast of St. Peter of Verona, but it's also the seventh anniversary of Father Nicholas Gruner's death. May he rest in peace. The longtime director of the Fatima Center, as many of you probably know. So please say a prayer for the repose of Father's soul tomorrow on the anniversary of his death. And we're going to be, I'll be mentioning him at the end of our first story, as you will see. Mm. Uh, So uh, we'll go ahead and launch into it. Um, As I mentioned in the intro, uh, Pope Francis sent an Easter appeal in the form of a letter to Patriarch Kirill uh, in regard to basically wishing him a happy Easter. As I mentioned last week uh, on the Julian calendar, which is the one that the Eastern Orthodox and also Eastern Rite Catholics use, Easter was actually this past Sunday because they're basically a week behind us. So he sent, uh, Francis sent Kirill a letter saying, 
you know, dear your holiness in his goodness, the Lord again vouchsafed us to celebrate Easter. In these days when we feel the full weight of the suffering of the members of our human family, crushed by violence, war, and numerous manifestations of injustice, let us again marvel with a grateful heart that the Lord took upon himself all the evil and all the pain of our world. Dear brother, let us pray for one another that we may bear a credible witness to the gospel message of the risen Christ and the church as the universal sacrament of salvation. And that last phrase is actually a, basically a direct quote from the Vatican II document, Lumen Gentium, Article 48, the, universe, the church being the universal sacrament of salvation, which is kind of a interesting phrase i don't know if that has precedent in tradition or not i mean obviously the church is the dispenser of the sacraments but um <clears throat> so he goes on to say in this letter uh, may the holy spirit transform our hearts and make us true peacemakers especially for war-torn ukraine so that as soon as possible the great easter transition from death to life now in uh death to new life, excuse me, in Christ becomes a reality for the Ukrainian people who yearn for a new dawn that will put an end to the darkness of war. And also some news that broke uh, since we last broadcasted the show. So there was a proposed meeting between Francis and Kirill, which was tentatively scheduled to take place in mid-June in Lebanon when both of the uh, the Pope and the Patriarch would be there, but that has since been canceled. Uh, something like, you know, Francis claimed they, they still have a strong relationship, but they both agreed that it would be awkward at this time for them to meet. So take that for <laughs> what it's worth. Um, so in the civil sphere, you know, we have, so in the ecclesiastical sphere, we have Francis continuing to ask for peace and an end to this conflict. He did the same this past Sunday in his uh, Regina Chaley message after uh, praying the Regina Chaley with the faithful gathered in Rome. But notice and, in the asking for peace, no call for conversion. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. No call for conversion. So in the civil sphere, uh, this week, the United States Congress, specifically the U.S. House, is considering a bill that has already uh, it was introduced in the Senate in January. That's interesting. It's called the Ukraine Democracy Defense Lend-Lease Act of 2022. And the purpose of this bill is, quote, to provide enhanced authority for the president to enter into agreements with the government of Ukraine to lend or lease defense articles, in other words, military That's equipment, right to that government to protect civilian populations in Ukraine from Russian military invasion and for other purposes. And as I mentioned, it was introduced in the Senate uh, January 19th, so over one month prior to Russia's invasion, which, took, which ah, began on February 24th. Yes. That's very interesting. So it passed the Senate uh, on April 6th, and now it's working its way through the House, as bills have to do. So yesterday, the House Committee on Rules held a hearing about this bill, which a very, very short hearing. Usually hearings last for a few hours at least. This one was done in about 30 minutes, and half the time they were discussing other matters. So there was virtually, basically there was no opposition to the bill at all. No concern about, you know, this could be a provocation of Russia, especially with news coming out of the Kremlin and statements being made by Russian officials to that effect. Uh, during the hearing, the committee chairman, Representative James McGovern, a Democrat from Massachusetts, compared the bill to the World War II era Arsenal of Democracy initiative of President Franklin D. Roosevelt. We have a clip from that that we're going to play. In addition to we'll more humanitarian aid for civilians and stronger sanctions against Russia, Ukraine President Zelensky has called on the United States for greater military assistance. Congress has the opportunity now to send a clear message to Putin that Ukraine will have the resources to fight Russia's invasion for as long as it takes. During World for War as II, long the as it program takes. helped U the U.S. provide $50 billion in aid to more than 30 nations around the globe, providing supplies ranging from tanks, aircraft, ship ships, and weapons to clothing, chemicals, and food. This program became known as the Arsenal of Democracy, and it is just as essential today as it was then.
But we can SB pause there for a second. Uh, streamlines the president's current authorities um, to end. So notice how he said that this this initiative that they're trying, this bill they're trying to get passed, is just as important as the arsenal of democracy initiative during the Second World War. I mean, this man is implying that we are at war, basically. Mm -hmm. That's very disturbing because we're we're not at war. We're not at war with Russia, uh, not as far as I know. So it is definitely concerning that he's basically implying that we are at war. Uh, also, during this same hearing, Representative Joe Wilson, a Republican of South Carolina, stated, quote, Ukraine's battle for its sovereignty is the forefront of the fight between autocracy, which he described as the rule of gun, which is not what the word autocracy, autocracy. means. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's the fight between autocracy and democracy, which he thinks is the rule of law, which is actually not what the word democracy means either. So he <laughs> needs to look up the definition of these words. <laughs> but the point is that, you know, on both sides of the aisle, these these men and women are basically implying we are at war with Russia and somehow have an obligation to supply Ukraine, you know, indefinitely with as much uh, equipment, ammunition, money, etc., to wage this war. Um, and again, the problem we really have is as so many of people making these decisions, including those in the executive control of the executive now, you can't trust their judgment because they've got conflicts of interest. They have made. Yeah. Billions and billions of dollars from corruption in Ukraine, whether it's the Clintons, the Bidens, uh, on down the, the Nancy Pelosi. And so the people who are saying this is, you know, this massive thing like World War II and we need to do this. But wait, you're defending your investments. Uh, it, it just there's such corruption and, and conflict of interest. That and notice how they used the same lingo about, you know, the, with COVID, where the nation's at war yes. again. We're in wartime. Yes, yes. So notice, uh, I'll just recall real quick, Representative Govern McGovern's remarked that, quote, Ukraine President Zelensky has called on the United States for greater military assistance. Well, last week, Thursday, April 21st, uh, President Zelensky addressed the World Bank, which is based uh, here in the United States, Washington, D.C. And this is what he had to say regarding money, quote, as of now, given the economic downturn and broken economic ties, we, meaning Ukraine, need up to $7 billion in financial support each month. $7 wow. billion dollars each month. He, he went on to say, Ukraine will need hundreds of billions of dollars to recover from this war. Wow. I don't know where I don't know where all that money is going to come from. I guess they're going to have to keep the printing presses running 24/7 mm. at the Federal Reserve. So, and just a reminder from last week as I mentioned last week, the US has already given Ukraine about 1.6 billion dollars in security assistance as as President yes. Biden called it. And now Biden just today uh announced that he's requesting apparently $33 billion uh, asking Congress to authorize him to give that much money to Ukraine. Again, $33 billion for a country that really has no value, strategic interest to the U.S. and has strategic interest to some people that make money there in the U.S., but not to us as a country. And again, it's just this whole globalist idea you were going to, I mean, and it's not to justify what, what Putin or the Russians are doing, but right. who are we? You know, we, we're running around saying we're going to police the world when we have obviously massive problems at home. People can't even fill their gas tank or heat their homes because the price right. is here. Not to mention send, the crisis at our southern border. I, yeah, not uh, to mention, but we're going to send $33 billion to this country that is not really of strategic concern to the United States. Right. As if we are at war with Russia and have some sort yes. of an obligation to to act accordingly. And actually, at the end of his uh, prepared remarks today, during which he accidentally said he was going to accommodate rather than hold accountable the Russian oligarchs. Hopefully it was a mistake anyway. <laughs> um, a journalist asked him because Russia, you know, Russian officials, as I said in the introduction, have been saying some very... Uh, matter of fact things like I'll give you an example here 
So Russia is basically warning the U.S. to stop sending arms to Ukraine. This is what uh, Russian ambassador to the U.S. Anatoly Antonov told a Russian news station. What the Americans are doing, he said, is pouring oil on the flames. (laughs) I see only an attempt to raise the stakes, to aggravate the situation, to see more Mm. losses. And the Russian foreign minister is uh, Sergei Lavrov is basically saying the same thing, even bringing up the prospect of nuclear war. The headline from Reuters or Reuters uh, on Monday of this week says Russia's Lavrov do not underestimate threat of nuclear war. That's a pre- <laughs> that's a pretty strong yeah. statement. I mean, I don't understand why we're not more concerned about this. So. And he, Lavrov also said the United States is basically already waging a proxy war through Ukraine. So mm-hmm. a journalist asked um, asked Biden about this this morning. Let me find the. Here we go. So this was the question from a journalist, Mr. President. You say that this is not a proxy war, but Russia clearly disagrees. They say that war means war. That's a quote from uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov. So how concerned are you that they may start to act accordingly, even if you disagree? This was his answer, the supposed leader of the free world. We are prepared for whatever they do. Oh, really? You're prepared for them to launch nuclear weapons? (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, So, wow, just unbelievable. So let's see here. Also, a friend of mine sent me a very uh, well- written article by a John Daniel Davidson written for the Federalist. And he's basically saying, you know, what I'm saying here, that we really need to take this concern seriously. Uh, He wrote in his article, this is not a peripheral conflict for Russia. As far as the Kremlin is concerned, the fate of Ukraine is inextricably tied to Russia's core strategic national interests. Unlike the United States, Russia really does have, you know, some very significant strategic national interests tied up with Ukraine. So this uh, this writer goes on to say the chances that Putin will accept total defeat in Ukraine without escalation that involves the use of nuclear weapons or that involves widening the war are probably lower than most Americans are comfortable with. And I think he's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So to wrap up this story, I wanted to bring in, you know, the spiritual component of it, which is obviously the message of Our Lady of Fatima. So what are we to make of all this, particularly in light of Pope Francis's recent consecration of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary that we reported on a lot last month, and the period of peace that Our Lady promised? Because it doesn't sound like things are getting more peaceful, just the opposite, in fact. So I wanted to share with you all uh, something that Father Gruner said at a Fatima conference back in 2007, and it's taken or it's quoted rather in this book that's published uh, and distributed by the Fatima Center called Evil Forces Are Driving the World Toward War by James Hainich, uh, and it has a foreword from Father Gruner. So this is what Father Gruner said in 2007. Quote, Our Lady's triumph will be in three stages. The first stage is, and then he quotes from the third, uh, the secret of Fatima, the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me. We have been waiting for the fulfillment of this stage, Father Gruner said, for 90 years. At that time, it was in, again, it was in 2007 he was speaking. So now it's been over 100 years um, since the, you know, Our Lady's uh, request at Fatima. When uh, he goes on, when Russia at last is at last consecrated, it will be converted. That's what we've been saying. That's one of the fruits to look for, the conversion of Russia to Catholic unity. He goes on, that is the second stage, which will take place within a couple of years of the consecration. That was Father Gruner's opinion about the time frame of the conversion of Russia, a couple of years In the third stage, Father Gruner says, shortly after Russia is converted, peace will be given to the world. In the prophetic visions of St. John Bosco, we see that Russia will already have invaded the West 
before the Pope consecrates Russia. So that was his understanding of, of a vision that St. John Bosco reported. So, you know, as we've said, we, we don't know with, with certainty whether or not the consecration on March 25th is the definitive consecration of Russia. We'll, we'll, time will tell. But Father Gruner seemed to think that uh, Russia will have already invaded the West before Russia is actually consecrated. He goes on, St. John Bosco had a vision of Russian armies in France carrying a black standard or flag, but while they are in France, he saw that their standard will turn from black to white. That will be when Russia has been consecrated and it has converted. The Russian armies will stay in France, Father Gruner says, and Western Europe, not as enemies, but as friends to defend Europe from the invasion from the South, end quote. So that gives us a little perspective from someone, you know, one of the world's foremost ex experts, I think it's fair to say, on the message of Fatima and what we could see play out in the months and the years to come. We will see. Yes, we, we will see. But clearly, we have not seen the conversion of Russia. That's the one thing we can say definitively. That has not yes. occurred yet, the conversion. And we should continue to pray for the graces that that comes about. Well, we're going to turn from uh, this, this sort of geopolitics to a little more Main Street. And we really have a couple of stories on education. And it's it's really interesting. The Marxists really understood that to make their revolution permanent, education was the key. Getting control of the children was key, and indoctrinating, brainwashing the children was the way to perpetuate their Marxist revolution. They've understood this for decades, and they understood the Soviets when they invaded Eastern Europe. They had a big focus on taking over the schools, getting separating the children from their parents, and using schools as a way to promote their Marxist ideology. So we know that, and we see two stories we're going to talk about now that illustrate Marxism is alive and well uh, in the uh, United States, uh, that yes. it is this technique of taking over the children is definitely there. And I saw this story on the uh, Epoch, Epoch Times this week, uh, and uh, it's about a phenomenon that I was unaware of, but apparently is, uh, is real, and that is something called uh, a transition closet uh, that is being put in public schools. Uh, it apparently started in colleges, but definitely is now in high schools and even some, some uh, middle schools around the country. And uh, the Epic Times uh, writer found a TikTok video where a California teacher basically says he set one of these up to undermine uh, parents and facilitate children essentially disobeying their their parents so you're saying what is this thing what's this transition closet basically it's a place where clothes are set up where a kid can say a boy for example goes to school dressed in a boy clothes uh, as his parents would expect and then he can go into the transition closet and change into girl clothes and walk around in girl clothes uh, during the day. And then before he, his parents see him, he can sneak back to the closet, change back and, uh, you know, defy his parents and sort of be sneaky. Uh, and again, this, this teacher, this high school teacher, um, who has eventually been identified as Oakland uh, Unified School District Spanish teacher, Thomas Martin Edwards, who used to be a uh, uh, assistant principal, said the quote, the goal of the transition closet is for our students to wear the clothes that their parents approve of, come to school, and then swap out into the clothes that fit who they truly are. <laughs> quote from this guy. Now, as the, the popes have always taught us about education, education, the primary responsibility for education lies with the parents. It is their duty of state as parents uh, to educate and rear their children. Now, the church has a role in assisting or facilitating, and the church has a residual, I might call it like a backup role uh, for the baptized children. If the parents are neglecting their duty to teach the faith, the church has rights over the children who are baptized. But the parents have that primary responsibility, and when it comes to the state or the government or the civil society, 
that they may offer schools or support schools in an effort to help parents, to facilitate parents. But the popes are very clear. The parents are first, and any support the government gives is in secondary. It's supporting the parents, right. not taking away from them, not trumping their rights, not not superseding them. And everything a public or a state-supported or, or secular school can do, should do, is support the parents. And here mm -hmm. we have this, this assistant principal Spanish teacher whose entire purpose is to undermine is to help children to defy their parents and to uh, eliminate the teaching and the education of uh, their parents. So this is really a deceitful act by schools. Uh, it's like, you know, again, schools, when they cooperate with parents, they work together, right? So, hey, we see right. it looks like our child, your child's trying to sneak around at school, get away with something. How can we work together? Here, they're working against the parents. And again, according to these reporting, this is not a, a one off. Um, this is happening across the country and parents are really uh, unaware of it. They cite another example of a trans closet operated out of the Denver. So in your backyard there, Matt, oh my. conservatory green middle school in Colorado was a subject of recent posts on social media and Twitter about it, it that ignited a, a flurry of uh, you know, messaging uh, for the school encouraging transgenderism among students as young as 12 years old. Um, so this is, you know, this is widespread and hopefully it's going to be like uh, what happened with critical race theory when students were home for Zoom classes when they shut doing to the scandemic and they're listening in going, wait, what are you teaching my kid? And woke up and started going to school board meetings and mm -hmm. uh, protesting this indoctrination of their children. Hopefully these stories and this word getting out will wake up parents to number one, pull their kids out of these schools uh, and to, and to uh, resist what's being done. Again, Pope Pius XI in the 1930s said really Catholic parents should not be sending their children to secularist atheists, which are basically atheist. And this is, he's speaking in the thirties, secular schools. Um, again, even at that point, homeschooling was not as popular as an option. There were more Catholic schools then. So he certainly recommends Catholic schools because they were mm -hmm. actually Catholic schools that were Catholic. Um, yes. But again, his point was that these, these, these schools that are destroying morality and religion, you, you, you cannot, you are derelict in your duty if you just sort of send your kids off and, oh, well, just hope everything goes well um, in your duty to educate uh, children. And so uh, we should really denounce this and bring this out and wake people up to hear that this kind of thing is going on in in uh, these public schools that have been controlled for decades by radical progressivists. And hand in hand with that, another story, there was a case that made it to the Supreme Court this week of a football player, Joe Kelly. Or a coach, actually. Yeah. A co not player, excuse me. A coach, a football coach, Joe Kelly, uh, who is a 20-year veteran uh, of the Marines. Uh, so, and I, again, from his name, I don't know. He sounds like he might be Catholic. My sense that I couldn't really tell from the, the reporting if he was definitely, he's definitely Christian, but his name sounds like a, an Irish Catholic name, <laughs> I have to say. But right. uh, in any event, uh, he, in 2008, uh, wanted to become a, a football uh, coach for a high school. And he uh, prayed to God and said, if, if I get an opportunity to do this, I promise after every game, win or lose, I will kneel down on the 50 yard line and pray and give you, you know, pray to you uh, and, and to honor you and give you thanks. And uh, the Marine, true to his word, uh, when he got this, uh, this high school football coaching job, uh, started doing that. And again, he didn't want to make fanfare. It wasn't about him drawing yes. attention to himself. He just quietly went to the 50 yard line, knelt down, said a private prayer uh, to honor God and thank him uh, for what uh, had been done. Uh, and again, there were some, you know, a couple students who sometimes joined, they saw it going on. Um, uh, but, but again, he didn't, he didn't make an announcement. He didn't tell people they have to come join him. He just did a very simple act of private worship uh, right. at the end of, of each of these, uh, games. Well, his school said, unconstitutional, horrible, can't do this, can't do this, uh, and basically said, your job or your prayer. Uh, and you are losing your job that you've been try you tried to get for all these years if you continue to do this. And he said, no, I made a vow to God. I will not break it. And uh, they basically relieved him 
of uh, duties as the uh, football coach. So it's been through the courts. Uh, it's now at the Supreme Court, the uh, uh, law firm of Kirkland and Ellis with the First Liberty Fund, uh, who have done some other uh, amendments to protect uh Christian religion. Uh, they argued the, the justices, it was hard to tell. It was definitely a mixed bag, but seemed open to realizing things have gotten out of hand, that they've turned a provision that was meant to protect people's ability to exercise religion into a ban of, of religion uh, and mm. uh, you know, stopping this, this guy just saying a private prayer. Uh, and again, so hopefully there will be a positive result for him. But again, what is this about? The, uh, for, for most of our country's history, even in state paid schools, there were public prayers that were offered in school, the beginning of the day, the end of the day. And mm -hmm. it's only recently when, the, again, the Marxists realized we need to go after the next generation. We need to be anti-prayer and remove them from school, remove mention of God, assign God to the closet, which is now becoming a transition closet, as we saw. <laughs> so this is the state of uh, public public education that needs to be resisted by, by parents. And uh, so, by the way, also, I noticed uh, Juan Diego Ulate, a new, a new viewer I haven't seen before. Welcome, uh, Juan Diego. It's good to yes. see you. And uh, Vivo Cristo Rey. That's right. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to turn uh, back to the Vatican where we began today's report. Yeah. Uh, LifeSite News has the uh, the headline for us for this story published uh, on Tuesday of this week. Pope insists traditionalist FSSP priests must concelebrate New Rite Chrism Mass, says French Archbishop. So, in order to understand this story, as they explain in the article, but I'll just go straight to the store, the source. Uh, recall back in February, we reported this on this show when Pope Francis, or rather the uh, the priestly fraternity, issued an official communique. This was on February twenty first, twenty twenty two, explaining that a couple weeks prior, on Friday, February fourth, two members of the priestly fraternity of Saint Peter. Uh, were received in private audience by the Holy Father Pope Francis for nearly an hour. During the very cordial meeting, they recalled the origins of the fraternity. Uh, the Pope expressed that he was very impressed by the approach taken by its founders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the crux of the matter was, uh, in the course of the audience, the Pope made it clear that institutes such as the Fraternity of St. Peter are not affected by the general provisions of the Motu Proprio Traditionis Custodis, the Holy Father subsequently sent a decree signed by him and dated February 11th, confirming for the members of the fraternity the right to use the liturgical books in force in 1962, namely the Missal, the Ritual, the Pontifical, and the Roman Breviary. So that's from the priestly fraternity communique from a couple of months ago. So now we have this uh, a different story being reported by a French archbishop, the Archbishop of Reims. And LifeSite News explains, a French archbishop reported that Pope Francis wants priests devoted to the traditional Latin Mass to con-celebrate the new rite at least once a year. And this is coming from a French magazine, an article published last Thursday, uh, which explains that Pope Francis received the leadership of the French Bishops' Conference in Rome just a few weeks after their spring plenary assembly in Lourdes. LifeSite goes on, On this occasion, the topic of the controversial motu proprio traditionis custodis, uh, with which the pontiff imposed severe restrictions on the celebration of the traditional Mass, was brought to the table so that Pope Francis could clarify certain points. So. Presumably, the bishops wanted some clarification on certain things. One of well, which, was presumably, no doubt, yeah, presu <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of which was no doubt the chrism mass. And so, the LifeSide report goes on. According to bishops at the meeting, the po uh, the Pope began by recalling, quote, emphatically, that the decree of February 11th um, came from him. So it is legitimate. Whether or not it'll be published in the official acts of the Apostolic See remains to be seen. Uh, but life, the LifeSite report goes on immediately afterward, however, saying that the decree did come from him. 
Pope Francis emphasized the second paragraph of this decree, which states that the, the FSSP priests may use this faculty in their own churches or oratories only, and that otherwise, the 1962 missile, quote, may only be used with the consent of the ordinary of the place, except for the celebration of private masses. So that's a confirmation of what we basically already knew, that the purpose of Traditionis Custodis is to quarantine the traditional mass and ghettoize it into these separate communities, get it out of regular parish life, basically. We already knew that. The part that we didn't know is this. Uh, according to Monsignor de, I for, forgive me if I mispronounced the French, Moline uh, Beaufort, the Archbishop of Reims and head of the French Bishops' Conference, according to him, Francis also insisted that all priests, regardless of their affiliation, must concelebrate at the annual Chrism Mass. And this is what the Archbishop said. Quote, he was very insistent that priests concelebrate at least the Chrism Mass. So there you have it. And I, and again, I don't think overall, this comes as a surprise. No, the overall problem, this is no way to run a church, right? If you think about this, this history just went through. So he issues traditional custodes. He lets Roche put out his document, which is, is goes further. And then he meets supposedly with the fraternity. They publish a decree of the Pope that he's never published. And, and again, even if you take this story as true, it sounds like the French bishops went and said, we don't believe this is real. And he has right. to insist. <laughs> well, part of the problem is what what is, you know, why is the recipient of the papal decree publishing it and not you? So and then now does he lets the same thing happen again? He doesn't come out with this statement. He says in a private meeting and then lets the French bishop say it. And then I, I, again, this is this is not governing. This is governing right. by rumor and innuendo and confusion. And I think, as as I've said, I think Chris Ferrara said, this is all to keep people guessing, to make it so people don't really know what's going on. They're not sure. And this seems to be his style of, of governance, if you can call it that, or not really governance, is just ha so confusion uh, and just say things to people in private, let them report it, never really confirm it officially. And, and create this sort of whole chaos that, that we're seeing. And again, who knows? He sort of implies that he told the fraternity priest this. I, who knows? I mean, maybe they just thought, wow, we got the decree. We're safe. And now he's just throwing this up, you know, throwing this into the mix. And they weren't even aware of it at, at the time. Uh, but even though it goes contrary to canon law itself, which says no priest can be forced to concelebrate. Uh, but right. here he says must, according to the Archbishop of Ram. Right. And let's see. So the just to finish up this story, the uh, LifeSite report says later on, the Pope's alleged insistence on concelebration at the Chrism Mass, because we this still has to be confirmed in some way. Uh, really, the Pope, if he's serious about this, you know, should, as Brian said, you know, make it clear in a public forum and not just yes. with this these rumors, he said, she mm -hmm. said. The Pope's alleged insistence on concelebration at the Chrism Mass during his meeting with the French bishops appears to validate the actions of the now emeritus Archbishop Roland Minerath of Dijon, who mm -hmm. unceremoniously evicted the FSSP from his diocese last year, arguing that some of its priests refused to concelebrate at the Chrism Mass. So that really could have been the origin of, of why they were bringing this up in the first place, because they didn't yes. like that. Yes. And again, this is the tenuous position um, because their faculty only exists in, quote, their churches and oratories, which they don't own, which are only designated by the ordinary. And so if he says, concelebrator, you're out, we saw the model for that. And again, Francis seems to be pointing to Dijon as the model. Don't look at me, he's saying to the bishops. If you want to get rid of these people, you do it. Order them to concelebrate. He knows most fraternity of St. Peter priests. Uh, would say, no, I'm not going to do that. And then you can just kick them out because now you've got a reason to say, okay, you're gone. You have no church or oratory in which to say your mass. So you have no faculty. Yeah. So he's really giving them, I think it's really, they're complaining to him. Why haven't you crushed these people? And I, I read it again, if it's true, uh, that he's saying, look, I gave you all the tools you need. Go follow the Bishop of Dijon. Right. Essentially. Yes. Essentially. Yes. Yes. So that's where we, we are. And, you know, this 
this as long as he's continuing to be in charge here this is i think the style we'll be looking for to to expect and uh, uh we'll you know see as it as it unfolds like i said my prediction is they'll just see if they're going to be forced to concelebrate many of them will do what the priest and dijon dude and leave uh right which is very sad but it may be the case yes so our uh, related story will stay with the Vatican and uh, something that, again, may be good news, uh, maybe. Right. The uh, so-called vice pope, who is uh, Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez Madrigada, uh, who is a Honduran prelate, uh, who is really the, again, he is referred to in the Vatican as the vice pope, since day one has been the right-hand man. He appeared with the Pope right on the balcony and has been his right-hand mm-hmm. man. He's the head of his Politburo, I'm sorry, the uh, <laughs> Council of Nine Cardinals that he yes. established uh, to uh, uh, reform, supposedly, the Curia. Implement the agenda of the St. Gallen Mafia, yes. basically. <laughs> yeah, probably an accurate way to say it. Uh, also, you may re- recognize his name. Uh, he is early on in the pontificate, very early on in a speech, made clear really what Fran- how Francis sees the state of the church. And that is that at Vatican II, modernism confronted the church and modernism won. Modernism now reigns in the church and he celebrates right. vic- the victory of modernism at Vatican II, right. uh, which again, he says it more bluntly, is frankly what Cardinal Ratzinger said, that the that Gaudi Mitzbez is a counter syllabus to the syllabus of errors. Again, he right. said it more intellectually, more uh, uh, academically, but they're really saying the same thing. So, uh, and also, you may remember Madrigada because we had a uh, interview with Catholic Family News uh, with the translator of uh, really a very shocking but important book, Sacred Betrayals, which was written by the wife of the former ambassador to the Vatican from Honduras, uh, who was very close to this cardinal, uh, very fam- family, deep, close family friend, had him constantly to their house in Rome, uh, had him, I think, for holidays, a close family friend, and who really knew him and discovered the depth of his corruptions. And she wrote this book uh, to expose the corruptions where he basically even turned on them, his close friends, mm-hmm. and uh swindled them for lack of a better word out of uh, all their money uh and she documents in the book how he covered for and 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 uh supported uh this uh, bishop who was really involved in financial and sexual uh misconduct put it lightly uh bishop pineda and uh, was you know massively covering up this bishop was living with a ma- young man in a house uh in very inappropriate ways and uh, so really mired, if you read that book or listen to the interview I did with Mr. Hoffman, who translated the book into English, uh, pretty clear corruption. But Francis, as true to his uh, style, sticks with his uh, friends, his party members, and has yes. defended him. Uh, the cardinal has already resigned. Uh, he had resigned when he was 75. The pope did not accept his resignation. So that's why it's odd on April 26th during the Chrismal Mass we just talked about. Um, and by the way, if you've never seen a traditional Chrismal Mass, look at the St. Thomas Aquinas live stream. They live stream it every year. It is beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful ceremonies uh, that mm. is destroyed in the, the new Mass. But uh, really, there is a Chrismal Mass. It's not a concelebration. Uh, there are involved deacons and priests in the blessing of the oil in a beautiful ceremony. But the Mass is just the bishop. Um, but in any event, you can see a real Chrism Mass uh, live stream. But at the Chrism Mass, he announced he has resigned. Uh, and uh, But he said his resignation is not immediate. So first of all, that's why I said maybe good news, because the Pope may just say not accepting it again. But it's sort of odd. Why, if he already has a resignation sitting on the Pope's desk that the Pope has decided not to accept, why is he announcing uh, he's resigned? Well, it may be that some of his corruption is really coming home to roost because his resignation is right after the extradition of former Honduran president Juan Orlando Hernandez to the United States. And he has been extradited. That's pretty, I mean, this extraditing a former leader of a country to stand trial in the United States for drug trafficking, money laundering and crimes committed during a dictatorship marked by absolute corruption 
and full of outrages against the citizens. Well, guess who was involved in the coup that put Hernandez into power until January of this past year? You guessed it, Rodriguez <laughs> Maradigada. He visibly colluded with this uh, Hernandez regime in getting him into power uh, in the first place, and during him, he defended him. Uh, then later in Rome, when it came out how bad this guy was, the cardinal uh, denied, tried to deny his support for the regime uh, mm -hmm. because it was reputed to be uh, uh, you know, about to be collapsed under the weight of its own corruption. But again, it's documented not only in Marta Reichmann's book, translated by Mr. Hoffman, uh, that you know, Mario Degata was his number one big fan and used this authority in the church to throw his weight behind this corrupt uh, drug trafficking dictator. Uh, and this is who the Pope has as his right-hand man. So yes. it seems to me like maybe it's about to come out in this trial. Again, I'm just speculating, but maybe in this trial in the United States, his role is going to come out. And so we figure I better run away before I'm exposed. So it'll right. be interesting to see what Pope Bergoglio does with uh, this resignation once again renewed on the table. Right. And just to help you understand how much of a right-hand man he is, uh, Cardinal Maradiaga is to Pope Francis, he has been deeply involved in the, what, some nine-year process of this uh, reform of the Roman Curia Apostolic yeah. Constitution that was released. We have an excellent uh, commentary piece on that by Dr. Peter Kwasniewski on our website. It's called Innovations Will Continue Until, until Morale Improves. It's a very yes. good read. Check that out on our website, catholicfamilynews.com. But um, Pope Francis, uh, Vatican News reported just a few days before this news broke about Mara Diaga's resignation. Uh, the headline on Vatican News says, Pope commends Cardinal's explanation of curial reform document. Hmm. And it says, quote, Pope Francis has praised Honduran Cardinal Oscar Rodriguez Maradiaga for a new interview in which the president of the Council of Cardinal Advisors discusses the new apostolic constitution, Predicate Evangelium, and the reform of the Roman Curia. So even amidst the scandal of Cardinal Maradiaga's connection to this extradited dictator, Pope Francis is continuing to heap praise upon this man. And again, he, Pope Francis, at Maradigata's insistence, defended Pineda all the way up to his own collapse under the overwhelming weight of his corruption. So again, this is there's case after case after case where you know no matter how corrupt the person is, Francis is right there behind them, supporting them uh, to the to the bitter end. So it doesn't seem likely in that sense, unless Francis knows this guy's got to get out of the public spotlight because something's about to break, that he will uh, resign his resignation will be made effective, but we will, time will tell. Yes. All right. Well, well I think brings us to the end of another uh, weekly news roundup. We thank everyone who has joined us live and, and everyone who will watch this video. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed it, uh, we ask for your support in the form of please uh, hit that subscribe button, give us a like, yes. uh, help us, um, you know, be our, help be our algorithm to spread the content far as far and wide as possible. As yes. Brian reminds us, it really does help. Yes. And uh, our issue, I think, is just coming out in the electronic form for May. The papers will be mailed shortly. Uh, and again, remember, all this free content is wonderful, but there's even more detail and analysis in our monthly uh, paper with you know almost 30 pages of newsprint content uh, that you won't find anywhere except in the e or print edition so and your subscription uh, supports all this free content so you can help us that way yes oh i did want to answer sam in the live chat asked who are the invaders you mentioned from the south when i was talking about the oh. story of russia and ukraine um, I think there's pretty much consensus of private revelation and prophecy as well as father Gruner would agree yes definitely Islamic forces coming up from the Middle East and North Africa. Those are the invaders yes. from the South. Yeah. And there's several private revelations that, that indicate that that would be the case. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, remember to uh, visit our website regularly for new content, catholicfamilynews.com. Subscribe to our YouTube and Rumble channels and, and, if you are so inclined, we'd greatly appreciate your support in the form of a monthly subscription to our newspaper. 
But with that, we will close as we always do by invoking Our Lady and praying a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. The prayer composed by Sister Marie of St. Peter uh, for the defeat of communists and Marxists. Eternal Father, I offer you the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies, for as thy beloved Son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. St. Paul of the Cross. Pray for us. St. Catherine of Siena. Pray for us. St. Athanasius. Pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, happy second week after Easter. Happy Good Shepherd Sunday. And God willing, we'll see you for all the news from a Catholic perspective next week. Yes. God bless you.